0: Through 12. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all how the righteous and the wise in their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happens to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord stands forever join me in prayer. Father, thank you for today and your word and this opportunity to be here before you and before it. And I pray that you would bless and keep us. We know there are some who cannot be here today. Uh, They may not be able to even join us online as providence uh, takes them to different places or different circumstances. But Lord, your spirit is the same spirit. And so we pray that your spirit would be with them. And certainly it would be with us as we Hear your word this morning, Lord, do your will on earth as it is in heaven and use your word and your servants to that end. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Years ago, and it's been a while since I've done it because the, uh, you know, I, I've been found out. I would tell Lydia that we are going to go and be Spontaneous. And by that, I had a plan. She was going to be spontaneous. And usually it was because I was getting her to do something that she would normally not agree to otherwise. So I'd say, let's go be spontaneous. Let's go do something. And I'd have that plan because I I don't really like spontaneity all that much. I'll be honest. Now, I had my moments in college like the night that we decided to drive to the beach from Athens, Georgia to Folly Beach in Charleston just to see the sunrise. But as I've gotten older, I like spontaneity much less. My main area of spontaneity seems to be my eyebrows, and I'm sorry about that. I like for my carefully worked out plans to work out. I don't like my ideas to be deviated from. I like my routines to hold, my habits to be strong, my organization to work. And life always goes like you plan, doesn't it? I, I still chuckle. I still laugh about those pastors who had 2020 visions at the beginning of 2020. They had the idea, this is how life's going to be in our church, and this is what we're going to do. And then. Now, I didn't say that I had a 2020 vision. I, 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 maybe I'm not that clever or that silly. But how did your 2020 go? Did it go according to plan? Did you feel, feel spontaneous? Maybe, but not in the ways that you would like. That's one of the difficulties we all face. You can enjoy being spontaneous or you can live by all your carefully cultivated plans and there will still be days or weeks or months or sometimes years that don't even come close to what you thought they would be. And that could be especially difficult When you're looking in comparison to other people. Maybe those who have the same dream or plans that you had. And why is it they get to accomplish theirs. But you are stuck where you are. We do the right things but it doesn't always end up with the right results. And we wonder is it worth it. That's some of what the thought is expressed here that. Things don't work out the way that we think they should or that we want them to. The author of Ecclesiastes shows us the harsh realities of life under the sun. But he also helps us to see that there is something more for us to live in and by. And so here's my theme this morning. Life under the sun is perplexing. You have questions, you have doubts, you have uncertainty. But life is... In Christ is freeing and I want to show you how it is freeing so first uh, we will talk about that first half the perplexing part and living under a common curse and a common grace and then we'll talk about living by rede- redeeming grace that's the second part so first living under common grace and a common curse now there are lots of things I don't understand like dark matter what is it and should I be afraid of it I'm still struggling with the concept of light years. I know that it's probably just dullness on my part, but I don't understand. Why do tomatoes have more genes than humans? They have about 30,000 pairs of genes. We have 20,000. Why is that? Are near-death experiences real, or are they just ways to sell books? There are things I don't understand. And no matter how much you order your life, there is a certain unpredictability about it. And on the surface, there will be things that don't make sense. Listen to verse 1 again. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. You see, the possibility of experience both good and ill are before us love or hate or love or war you have your relationships but you could be very quickly thrust into someone hating you and being at war those who follow the lord do not get a pass on the curse of this world but nor and nor do those who don't follow the lord are kept, uh, they aren't kept from the goodness Of God's creation. So we're not free from the curse, and the people who don't follow God still receive his goodness. That's what's called common grace. All are blessed with it, but also all are under the common curse of man, which won't always make sense to us. So let's start with the common grace and let me pull this out a little bit more. So every person in this world, regardless of their merits or their demerits, receive God's blessings that's what the author says in verse 2 in the first part of verse 3 it's the same for all whether you're righteous or wicked good or evil clean or unclean you receive some measure of God's blessings of his grace and that is vexing to us because we are certain that others deserve justice for their misdeeds while we're certain we deserve mercy We have mitigating circumstances for our faults. They have excuses, and we don't want to hear them. And after all, we're the ones who are sacrificing. We're the ones who are tithing. We're showing up to church. We're doing what God requires. Doesn't that earn us a greater share of God's blessing? Or at least mean that those other people aren't blessed? Uh, Well, as the author of Ecclesiastes says, everyone receives from God's grace. This common grace, and he calls this an evil under the sun. That's his perspective. Because so much of life, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, can feel unjust and unfair. Why does this person over here get away with their sin? Why does there seem to be no consequences for the person who perpetually lies to the boss? Or some other circumstance you might think of. Why do they seem to profit from it? And Asaph writes a psalm, Psalm 73, that speaks to this perspective. And I'm going to read the first few verses of Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Asaph looks out and he says, why do the wicked prosper in equal or greater measure than those who are righteous? They don't even have trouble sleeping at night. And there will be times in the Christian life if you are following the Lord where you too might wonder if it's worth it. Why isn't it easier to not worry about pesky things like don't lie, don't steal, don't covet? Isn't it easier to not have to worry about whether you are following those commands or not? Don't even think about them. It's certainly much more natural to us to do what we want to do and what we feel will serve us the best. Meanwhile, the Lord is calling us to love him. And to love our neighbor and to love our enemies. And if God's common grace is given to sinner and saint alike, then does it matter? Hold on to that question. But Then there's also the common curse. And we all experience this too. The ultimate sign of God's curse on sin and the consequences of our sin is death. It's not the only part of the curse, but it is the one that we all experience in equal measure. We will all die. That's where verse 3 ends. Also, the hearts of children of man, of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. See, none of us is freed from this reality. There are other aspects to the curse of man because of our sin. But this is one that we all experience. And Ecclesiastes here is not presenting a full perspective on eternal destinations of man. But simply speaking to this universal reality. No matter how good you are or how evil you are, you'll die. And in that way, death is completely predictable. And it levels the field. But there's also an unpredictability about death that Ecclesiastes points to at the end of this section that we're looking at. And that also troubles us, even if we might be glad that there will be an end to evil men and women. But look at verses 11 and 12 again. And he says, again, I saw under the sun the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong. And then verse 12 for man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. You know, this does not deny the sovereignty of God or suggest that the Lord is not at work in the world, but we feel deeply that things aren't the way that they should be, which is another way of saying that we're living under this curse of sin and death. Do you know what tomorrow will bring? No. I I know that you have your plans. Tomorrow's President's Day, right? So maybe you're working, maybe you're not. You might think, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And hopefully, Lord willing, you're able to do those things. But the example is the fish out in the pond. I guarantee you, because the weather's going to be nice, someone will be out there fishing. And someone will snag one of those little brim or catfish, and that catfish is not there going, hey, I had plans for the day. And by the way, this is a Christian pond. How dare you? Right? That's not how it works. They're caught in a snare or a net. It's not how we expect things to go. And, And so there will be days, as much as we hate it, there will be days that you wake up never anticipating. There are some disasters and diseases and difficulties that you would never, ever add to your calendar. And yet those days show up. And suddenly we feel the curse and all its pain. And that we feel, and maybe it's quite, and we can feel it's quite undeserved, at least from the world's perspective. And after all, nice guys finish last And only the good die young. It's depressing. If that's all Ecclesiastes had to say. Because there is this perplexing nature of life of evil people seemingly having it easy. And good people seemingly having it hard. Common grace and common curse. is a difficult reality. But that's not the only thing on offer to us. We're offered a deeper and eternal life that begins begins here and now by God's redeeming grace. And we have an opportunity to live under that redeeming grace. Scripture also teaches us that his grace is given to us through his son and received by faith. This is what we call saving grace as opposed to common grace or redeeming grace. It's specific. And it comes with a specific action. That is the work of Christ. When we acknowledge the sacrifice of Jesus as the only way that we might be made righteous before God, then we're living in this grace too. And it's revealed here in signs and shadows. Look back to verse 1 and see who's being addressed in this chapter. But all this I laid to heart examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. It's describing those who are followers of God because on your own you won't be righteous and you won't be wise. But those who recognize the sovereign grace of God and have decided to follow him and to rest in God's sovereign goodness. The Christian is someone who rightly recognizes that we'd not be those things on our own apart from the work of the Holy Spirit within us. The follower of God through Christ then is freed to live a new life under the sun. Now there's more to come, there's more promised. And we will struggle still, we'll have questions, we'll be perplexed, And yet we will also begin to live in a new way to experience joy and to feast together. Uh, One way we honor our father in heaven is by receiving his gifts with thanks and joy, recognizing that our daily bread is not something that we are entitled to, but something that we are given in God's grace. We experience joy in the gift of God's provision. And Ecclesiastes has said this several different times. In chapter 2, it mentioned this. Chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 8, now chapter 9. Look at verse 7. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. We as followers of God, followers of Christ, if that's who you are today, should enjoy our meals more than anyone else. Because we recognize them for the gift that they are to us. We are made for joy in God, who gives freely. He gives us his approval to enjoy those things. All too often as Christians, we have a sour face. And yes, there are reasons for that. But there should be reasons for our smile, for our countenance to be... Lift it up as God shines on us. This is not a blank check for us to do whatever we want to do when it says that God's already approved. It's more like 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, the Christian life is not a cold drudgery. You are freed for joy in the everyday gifts and graces of of food and drink and also the people that you have in your lives verse 9 enjoy your enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun it kind of pulls together these two things of yes we will experience the curse but God has given us freedom to enjoy the gifts that he gives us so enjoy your wife or your husband or your friend, or your children or whoever the Lord has placed in your life. Enjoy also the work that God gives you to do because there will come a time when that work ends. And here's the difference between those who are simply living under common grace, receiving God's goodness, yes, food and drink, and those who receive them and enjoy them with joy. It's because we are making none of them ultimate We are not making none of those things the ultimate good that we're after. Isn't that what vexes so much of our men and women around us, our friends, family members, neighbors? They're chasing after work as the ultimate thing. Or they're chasing after a relationship as the ultimate thing. Or they're chasing after their own enjoyment, happiness, experiences. But when you make them ultimate, you become an idolater. And if you focus on pleasure or a position at work or a person, you will make those things your God. And they will never satisfy you. That's the curse. But we can receive those things from the hand of God, allow them the proper meaning in our lives, and therefore enjoy them on their own merits and as gifts from God. You see, redeeming grace frees you to live in Christ. Yes, with your bread and your drink, but something greater as well. Look at verse 8. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. That's not possible unless God has transformed you. This might be the image of someone being prepared for a wedding, a wedding feast. And there is one coming called the marriage supper of the Lamb. It was was spoken of in Revelation. Regardless, white garments in Scripture represent righteousness, holiness, cleanliness, and obedience to God. And apart from Christ, my rags are filthy. But through this grace of God that frees me, I am decked in robes not of my own making. Isaiah 61, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And when will there not be oil lacking on my head? It was an ancient custom of hospitality and respect to dinner guests for the host to anoint the invitee's head with oil. In Psalm 23, 5, David said to the Lord, you anoint my head with oil. Because he regarded himself as the Lord's special guest. He's been invited to dine, to sup with the Lord To receive from his gracious table. And his anointing of him. When will my head not be lacking oil? When I know the Lord as my shepherd. Even though I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And there have been days. But there's a feast that's coming and there's a feast that you're invited to now. So that you begin to understand all that God has given to you and on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks of the common grace. He says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That's his way of saying we each receive the blessing of God. If you're planting your corn, guess what you need? You need some water. You need some rain. So whether you're. An evildoer or a righteous person—you get the rain comes. You can have your field right next to each other, and in that context, Jesus says that the rain comes, that God's grace comes to the just and the unjust, the righteous, the unrighteous. In the context of telling us to love our enemies, now think about this: How can you love your enemies? Only by God's redeeming grace at work in your lives. Because you see, you won't love like Jesus loves. You won't love like God loves until you understand how much he has loved you. So act like your father in heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. He's shown you this special, saving, redeeming grace and what that does is that changes the way that you look in the world it changes the way you look at your enemy and it changes the way you look at the stars i don't know about you but when i go out at night and i see the stars i marvel at god as our creator now you can marvel apart from god and that's good certainly many people do but i see those stars differently and i see the food on my plate differently because I've been made alive in Christ. You know, God could have just given us manna. But you know what? He's given us beignets. And donuts. And churros. And zeppoli. And sopapilla. And those fried dough, dough balls that the Chinese restaurant up the street gives you sometimes with your meal. And I did go down the rabbit hole of looking on Wikipedia at fried dough products from around the world. And it was good. And if you're living... If you're here today and you're living, by the way, that's every one of you, then you have hope. But only while you're here. That's what Ecclesiastes says in verse four. But he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. We see a dead lion doesn't scare anyone. A live lion doesn't scare God. And you have hope because you have the opportunity to see God's, not only his common grace, but his redeeming grace. You may be here with doubts or questions. Doubts about whether God is real. About whether he loves you. Whether you can be forgiven. You might be angry with the way that life has turned out. But do not take lightly the reality that we will all die one day. You can push God to the side, but it is better to address the Lord now as a living dog than a dead lion. And if you are alive, then you have hope. And if you are born again, as first Peter says, then you are born again to a living hope that that hope lives in you and changes the way that even you experience the vexing and perplexing things of life. If you're here this morning and you've never received that redeeming grace of God through Christ, then I call you to it and I say don't let the hope of God's grace in your life pass you by. I said to Lydia this week after receiving some difficult news, what are we supposed to want? I was vexed. I'm still in that place to some degree. Wondering what, what, do I, what am I supposed to want? What does God want me to desire? It's honest to lament the troubles we face. And that things are not the way they are supposed to be. They, we feel that deep in our bones. There are surprises and disappointments we could do without. And would love to plan out of our lives. But that's not the life of faith in Christ. No, the Lord is asking, is not asking us to be spontaneous. He's calling us to trust him for today and for all of our tomorrows until there is no tomorrow and only today. World without end. Asaph struggled and wasn't afraid to say it. Just as the author of Ecclesiastes isn't afraid to call it like he sees it. And both see that there is more than meets the eye. I'll conclude with the end of Psalm 73. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, I pray that. If even now someone has not received your. Redeeming grace through Christ, that they would open their heart to you, that your spirit would move and break down walls and give new flesh, new life, new heart. And Father, if we're living in that, then help us to see that we are freed, not from all the difficulties, but freed to live a different life because we recognize the gifts that you've given to us. The ordinary things and the extraordinary things. The common grace, but especially the work of Christ and his redeeming grace. Father, I don't always know what I'm supposed to want. But I pray that you'd help me more and more to want you and what you want for me. And I pray that for my friends here today. That you'd work the same in their lives as well.